0: We've been, uh, we've been looking at Leviticus um, over the last few weeks together. Um, a book that, to be honest, lots of, uh, lots of us don't read very uh, readily. It's a sort of a daunting book. It's a book that just seems full of lists of rules and regs and seems so removed. And yet, I hope that as we've engaged with it, we've sensed that actually the New Testament, that rests on. Something like Leviticus, part that uh, the first five books of the Bible, the New Testament, and Jesus who comes and speaks into these situations. Actually, suddenly you see the relevance that all of life matters to God. There's no area of life that God is not interested in. There's no area of life that God does not see as relevant for him. And we've looked at worship, and we've looked at um, Sacrifice. We've looked at being a people for the sake of the world. We've looked at things like food and sex and who you sleep with and who you can't sleep with and why that matters. And today we look at holiness. Really, society though. When in our tradition, in our Pentecostal tradition, when we talk about holiness, often holiness is very much internal. You think about some of the songs we might sing around holy, Purify My Heart, which is a nice song. It's a good song, but it's actually sort of a gentle song. It's an internal song. It's a song that once you know the words, you'll sing with your eyes closed because it feels like it's all internal. But actually, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament has a different view of holiness. Holiness is something that you demonstrate, is something that you reflect of God's heart for his world, and in a sense, you demonstrate in the midst of real life. And what we're going to look at today is this idea of a society. How do you be together a people that demonstrate the holiness of God? This is the slide that I've used every week, because I think it's the slide that sort of brings the whole of this book together. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the reason the picture of the world is there is because God was calling a people to say, I want you to live differently, not so that you might just sort of brush your sort of nails and go, oh, aren't we doing well? But you might live well, you might live as holy people, because actually you're a model of what God wants for the whole world. Think about the big picture. In the beginning, God created everything, but it was flawed and it was fractured and it was broken. So what does God do? Well, God calls a people who learn, who are called to learn to be obedient to God's ways. And ultimately, that is epitomized in Jesus. Jesus comes and demonstrates God's heart for a world. Why does God in Jesus heal the sick? Why does God in Jesus feed the hungry? Why does God in Jesus come to those who are on the extremes of society? Because actually what he's wanting to do is demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like. One day... The kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of our God. And in that day, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more hunger, there'll be no more marginal people, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more death. Until that day, we model what it means to follow Jesus who says, Look, I'm a signpost. I'm the one. He's more than a signpost, he's the one that's making it happen. But he comes and his miracles are the signpost of the kingdom. Look, there's a bigger world than this. God, who wants to renew all things, does so always through people. So church is not somewhere you come to sort of have a religious experience. That's not really what church should be about. Church should be this community that is beginning to learn how to live the way of the kingdom for the sake of the world so that the world around goes, oh, so that's how life can be. You may not know this, but sometimes when we've had, uh, in church, when we've done sort of like an evening, when we've done some of those sort of evenings, kind of concerts and daft things and meals and stuff, we've had people who don't know Jesus have come, and they've said to me afterwards, they've said, this is so brilliant. And you want to say, because of the acting and the singing and the general talent of our congregation. No, 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 no. They say it's brilliant because actually it looks like people like each other. And you go, well, generally they do. And generally, these people have hung around together. Some of these people have been together for over 25 years. And in 25 years, they've had big fallouts. But actually, they've hung together. Some people have really hurt each other, but they've hung together because they've forgiven. Some people still, I have to tell them this, some people still irritate each other. Now, clearly, those are all the people that are not here this morning. (laughs) Some people still irritate each other, but they still hang together. Because actually, they've discovered something about Jesus that makes them want to be a community together, not just a community that hangs together when everything's going well. Otherwise, who would be here? What does holiness look like? Holiness looks like a group of people who are learning to be obedient to Jesus in the way they tackle their relationships with one another. And it's a, we're a model that says, actually, therefore, this is how society could be. Because one day, society will be like this when all things are brought under the lordship of Jesus. Does that make sense? Do you recognize yourselves? <laughs> 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 makes sense. So, we're going to read. Uh, the 19th chapter, this is how it begins. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father and must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Don't turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I'm the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over to the third day must be burned up. If any of it's eaten on the third day, it's impure and won't be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he's desecrated what's holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, Don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive one another. Don't swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Don't defraud your neighbor or rob him. Don't hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in the front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Don't pervert justice, don't show partiality to the poor, or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Don't go about spreading slander about people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life, I am the Lord. Don't hate your brother in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you'll not share in his guilt. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Don't mate different kinds of animals. Don't plant your field with two kinds of seed. Don't wear clothing made of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a woman who's a slave girl promised to another man, but who's not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they're not to be put to death because she'd not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he's committed, and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you should consider it forbidden. It mustn't be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. Don't eat any meat with the blood still in it. Don't practice divination or sorcery. Don't cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. Don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Don't degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord the Lord. Don't turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you'll be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When an alien lives with you in your land, don't mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Don't use dishonest standards or um, when measuring length, weight or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights an honest ephah and honest, honest hidden. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Well, you get the rhythm. You get the rhythm of what's going on here. God's God, and you're trying to work out how to live. And in this context, people are living out what it means to be a people. And when you first read passages like this, it seems so alien to us. But that's because we live in Britain in the 21st century. We're uh, safe, we're comfortable, we have the life we have. I don't know how many of you have been watching David Attenborough's Africa programs. Absolutely brilliant. And if ever you wonder just how much you take for granted, you watch, as I watched last night, one of the ones that had been on a few weeks ago, about the Maasai warriors whose um, initiation rite is to go and kill a lion in the 21st century on our planet, not that far away, one plane ride away. And he is, I don't know, sort of 18, 19, 20 years old, a young man working out his life, in his culture, a culture that's so different from ours, but actually on a planet we share. And it's easy to read something like this and go, this is so foreign. And in one sense, it looks foreign. But actually, what you've got is just a different culture with different people trying to work out what does it mean to be obedient to God in our context when we are a wandering people in the wilderness, when we're a, an agricultural people, when we're a people longing to worship. When a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, what does God really think is important? Jesus said, there's two things that are really important. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything you have. Love God unrestrictedly. And love your neighbor Two commandments, one from Deuteronomy and one from this chapter we've just read. Love your neighbor as yourself. For this is what God requires of you. And in a sense, the whole of this chapter is working out what's it look like when we decide to be a people who love people around us. A few years later, after that conversation that Jesus had with a teacher of the law, Jesus' brother, James, would write an epistle a letter to people trying to work out how to be Christians. And in the second chapter of James, he's talking about what's the relationship between what you believe and what you do. And if you put all that chapter into, sort of like into a, what they call a wordle, and you, what you find is the, the time, number of times that a word is repeated, the word gets bigger on that picture. The whole of chapter 2 is really about the problem of saying you have faith without deeds. Faith without action is a problem. Unless your faith is leading you to act differently, then actually your faith probably isn't faith in the right thing. All this to say, I don't think the Bible has any space, any time, for an internal, personalized faith that doesn't change the way you live, that doesn't change your relationships, that doesn't change your business practice, that doesn't change what you spend your money on, that doesn't sp- change your, your personal lives, your, your intimate lives. Faith is never internal. Holiness is never internal. And It's interesting that this week, one of the politicians has recognized that. It was on Friday in the Telegraph online. And this lady, Baroness Warsi, who's a Muslim, I think by faith, the headline was, People who do God do do good. And and, and in the article, that is still online if you want to look at it, but in the midst of it, she says this, We may see the manifestation of faith as a crucifix around the neck or a spire on a skyline. Which, of course, it is. And what she's saying is that there are a lot of arguments recently about should you be able to wear sort of a mark of your faith. And she said that's actually sometimes what we see as a manifestation of faith. You know, you want to wear a crucifix. But too often we overlook the practical manifestation of faith. The mother and toddlers groups, the school assemblies, the fundraising days. The 98 million hours churchgoers spend volunteering each year. Now, what they've done is done in a social audit of all the hours that Christians spend volunteering for the sake of others, and they've estimated it's 98 million per year. For me, that's the most powerful manifestation of faith, the collective demonstration of people's individual beliefs. The most powerful manifestation of faith is the collective demonstration of your individual beliefs. They put a figure on it, by the way, how much that is worth, how much that time is worth. And they've said that in one year, it's worth £342 million. Now, it's interesting that at a time when faith and politics and faith and society is actually quite a difficult topic. Last week, when we talked about homosexuality, we talked about actually the difficulties of how do we express a different opinion in public. That actually... A few days later, they come in and go, well, actually, do you know what? Whatever people might be privately believing, the outcome of this is remarkable. So back to the chapter. What does it look like here? I want to highlight four things or bring together the chapter in four ways. It begins with the practices of business. In verse 9 and 10, the uh, people were told, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the edges of your fields. Don't go over your vineyard a second time. Don't pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. It's a brilliant picture of you own some land, and all that is growing there is yours. Now, how pernickety do you want to be about getting everything that's your due? And how generous do you feel you can be to say, well, actually, I can leave that. For there are poor and there are aliens amongst us who don't have the rights, who don't have the land, and my business practice, I can be generous with it. I don't need to go and get every last penny out of every last thing I've got, but actually... I can just be generous. Most of us don't have our own businesses. Some of us do, but not all of us have our own businesses. But, so let me put it into a different context. When you go to a restaurant and you leave a tip, what does your tip say about grace? If you have a meal in a restaurant, what does your tip say about grace? Is it, well, no, they're just doing their job. They get paid for it already. I'm not going to give them any more. Or do you say, well, actually, they did really well. They were pleasant. They were polite. And to be honest, I'm going to leave some money because they're not earning a whole stack of money here. And I've come out and spent 30 pounds on a meal. So if I leave another three quid, or is it, no, 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 no. £30, I bought the meal, it was on the menu for £15 each. I bought it, I left it, that's it. The rest is mine. When you reap to the edges of your field, do you leave some growing that goes, I can be generous about this? Some of you look like you'd prefer me just to talk about harvesting. Generosity, is it all yours, or will you leave some? The next long passage, the long bit of the passage, is about a culture of integrity or a culture of trust. From 11, from don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive, don't swear falsely, don't defraud, don't hold the back, the wages of a hired man overnight, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in their way, don't slander, don't... Um, bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. All of this is essentially, don't say one thing and then do another. Don't take advantage of one another. Don't tear one another down, but actually build community. Be a people who say, let's take a one little, little phrase that, that's used in the midst of that. Don't bear grudges. Just a little phrase, don't bear grudges. Don't keep playing with it like it's a wobbly tooth. Just let it go. And you're sitting there going, well, yeah, but I've got a right. Because what they did was wrong. Yes, they did it wrong. Now stop bearing a grudge. Yeah, but they were really out of order. I know, but stop bearing a grudge. Yeah, but they don't know how much they hurt me. Yes, I know, but stop bearing a grudge. Just let it go. It's easy for me to say. (laughs) It is so hard to do. Because how many of you know that in your idle moment, it all comes back and you go, and then you get really good at arguing when it's all gone a long time ago, and you come back with new arguments. You rip them. But actually, every time you do it, what you're doing, you're destroying, you're tearing apart the community. Just let it go. Because it's exactly the same thing, really. When you're harvesting a field, you have the right to go to the edge. You have the right in your vineyard to go over the grapes again and get every last grape off the floor that nobody else can take anything. You have the right to keep the grudge. But generosity says, I'm going to let it go. What does your grudge keeping look like? In the midst of this, you have then a very strange verse. Don't make two different kinds of animals. Don't plant your field with two kinds of seeds. And don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. And in the midst of it, in the big stuff, you suddenly have, those of you wearing polyester cotton sh- uh, shirts this morning, sin. Um, and, and you kind of think, well, where's that come from? And I think what's going on, it's all a, pattern, a picture of this integrity. I, try, I was really trying to think about this, because actually people are kind of struggling to know why does God not want them to do that. And it it seems to be something about this idea that everything has to be sort of single, integral, be what it is. Don't try and sort of model something that isn't what it looks like. And then I was thinking about genetic modification of animals and how we feel about it. Do you remember? And I've got a feeling, I think I'm right in this, but some of you will will put me right if I'm not. Wasn't there a mouse on which they grew a pig's ear? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I was right. I was trying to think it wasn't a pig that grew a mouse's ear. That wouldn't be really valuable, but it was other way around. Because of we could harvest some of those cells. How many of you looked at that and went, yeah, that's a pretty good use of animals. I think we ought to have more of that. Most of us were sort of thinking, well, we can hear the arguments, but to be honest, we're a little uncertain about this. This doesn't feel right. I wonder if that's very similar to the way they were thinking about, don't make two different kinds of animals. Just because you can doesn't mean it to say you should. Be integral. Have integrity. Be what you look like you're being. Don't try and fudge stuff. Be a community of integrity. And then you've got this next passage bit of it, um, which starts... Don't eat any meat with the blood still in it. Don't practice divination. Don't cut the hair at the size of your head. Clip the edges of your beard, etc. Don't cut your bodies. Don't have tattoos. And don't degrade your your daughter by making her a prostitute. Observe the Sabbath. These sort of like five or six things that are just random? Well, most people think not. Most people think what's going on here is a death cult. It's to do with divination. It's to do with controlling the future. And people, if you can control divination, if you can control the future by knowing what's coming down the path towards you, you're in control of what's going to happen next to you because you're prepared. And in fact, if you have a certain power of seeing the future that nobody else has, not only can you control your own future, but you're one upon everybody else. You are a powerful person. And Leviticus says, stop trying to control that which you fear. Don't control what you fear. And I wonder whether that's why the reference to Sabbath is there. Some of you have heard me say this many times. The one commandment that seems to come through almost all the time in the Old Testament is this. Keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. And in one sense, you know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, some of them you think are really good ideas. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't... They're really good ones. And then, you know, have a day off. Doesn't seem like it's on the same level, does it? But if you keep the Sabbath in an agricultural context, you have to trust. You have to trust God. I guess there's quite a few of us in this room who know the weeks when we've worked seven days and seven days and seven days and seven days without stop. And we know the feeling that if I don't do this, well, I just have to do it because if I don't do it, it's all going to fall apart. And it's people like us that need to hear this command. It's people like us who believe that actually, if we don't keep on working, everything will collapse. It's people like us who need to hear the word that says, can you trust God with your work? Don't You can't control everything you fear. And then the final one. Care for the weak and the marginalized. It says here, rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When an alien lives with you in your land, don't mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The widow was one of those categories that all the way through the scriptures is an image of the weak, the people who have nothing. Here it's wider than just the widow. It's the widow and the alien. And I think that this text would suggest to us that our society, what our society really values is demonstrated by the way we treat our elderly and we treat those people who don't belong. In one sense, it's um, really simple. When you see an older person, get up. It's embarrassing when it happens to you. I have been given seats on buses and then had to get my birth certificate and say, no, 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 you've got the wrong person. Um, It's embarrassing, but... But what, what you're doing when you get up and you say, no, please take my seat. You're saying, you're someone. You're worth something. You're valuable. You're saying to someone who's older, we've not forgotten about you. We're saying to someone who doesn't feel like they've got a lot of power now in the world, no, 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 I'm going to relinquish my power to give you a place of some honor. What are you doing when you do that? for the alien, for the immigrant, for the people who have nothing. So what does holiness look like in the art of living? It means you're generous, generous in business. Holiness begins amongst ourselves. We're generous to one another. I love it when I hear of people within the church just offering money and gifts to one another you're modeling something that the rest of the world would give their right arm for. State benefit is a long way away from the generosity of people who go, when you're in need, I'm actually going to give you. A generosity in business, a generosity of tipping, a grace in the way you use your profits. People who maintain integrity, who will always say what's true and what's right. Trusting God for the unknown, and finally defending the weak. This is what holiness looks like. Purify my heart. Because actually, left to my own devices, I'm quite selfish. I live.